In the uh, 1992 Olympic Games, Derek Redmond was a 400 sprinter. And uh, in Barcelona, this was going on. I think it was the gold medal match. The, the runners... <laughs> impressive. The runners were, uh, had their hands down the starting blocks. The gun had not fired yet. But soon thereafter, boom, the trigger was pulled and the runners were off on their one lap around the track. About 125 meters in, the United States runner named Derek Redmond pulls up. He grabs his hamstring and he tries to hobble for a few more steps and then he just collapses. And then the race officials kind of come over to help him. They know if they help him, he will be disqualified. So they just encourage, they kind of figure him out. And he stands up and he begins to kind of hobble on one leg for maybe, you know, 20 more yards. And at that moment, if you watch the camera, you can begin to see some security officials beginning to kind of stop this, this, this fan. Not, not kidding, this fan who has run onto the track. And you see about three seconds later that fan coming around Derek, putting his arm around him and helping him up. Who was it? It was Derek's, it was Derek's dad. And there sat Derek, tearful in his father's arms as he finished this race with his dad helping him. Why do I share that story with y'all? It's a very emotional, it's a very powerful story if you ask me. I share it with you because I would like to suggest to you that what is imaged there in that story is very much what lies at the heart of Christianity. And here's what I mean. Anybody that's ever been a Christian for more than 30 seconds knows that it's difficult. Anybody that promises you and says, hey, become a Christian and your life will get easier, is selling you a book, bill of goods. They really are. I'm not saying that it's always going to be harder, but I'm not saying that you're never going to have pain again. That's ridiculous. And therefore, it, in some ways, it is very difficult to be a Christian. Here's two reasons. One, internally, you wrestle with doubt. Those of us that know ourselves, we wrestle with sin. We struggle. It's all part of the Christian life, as we've read about in Romans. And there's also factors from the outside that push in. We may be persecuted. We may deal with family members who don't understand what it means to be a Christian. We suffer because we follow Jesus. And the idea is, is that there are thousands of reasons from without and within for us to pull up on a hamstring and say, I'm out. I don't know if I'll finish the race. I want you to see tonight that regardless of where you are, that whatever struggle you might have, whether that's from the inside or that's coming from the outside spiritually, would you dare to believe something with me tonight? That in the face of you feeling like you don't know if you're going to be able to finish the race, that you have a Father that comes out out of the stands, puts His arm around you, and guarantees your finish. That really is what lies at the heart of Romans 8, 26, through the rest of the chapter in verse 39. And I want to show you three particular ways that Paul highlights for us that we see as promises and helps to get us across the finish line. When, y'all, when we want to quit. Okay? The first, the very first thing I want you to show you is that we get a groaning spirit. A groaning spirit. Secondly, the second thing we get from this text 
is that we get the likeness of the Son. And then thirdly, we get the, lo- we get the love of the Father. So the groaning of the Spirit, likeness of the Son, and then lastly, the love of the Father. Let's take a look at our text here as we begin to jump in. What do I mean by the groaning of the Spirit? Well, let's take a look there in those first couple of verses, in verses 26 through 27. The groaning of the Spirit. Look with me. Likewise, so that's a word that connects us up with what's above. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we ought to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. Here it is with groanings too deep for words. What is Paul telling us? He's telling us that we get a groaning spirit inside of us. The very Holy Spirit of God takes up residence in our hearts. Why? Here's the big question. Why does he do that? Two-point answer. One, because we need help. Do you see it right there in verse 26? Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. This image here of help is a really particular one. I, I really love it. It's, it's the sort of help that um, comes alongside of. It's not the help from above kind of pulling you along. I, I mean, imagine if, just here's some illustrations. Imagine if you were in a pit, okay, and you need it out. It's not, it's not a hand reaching down pulling you out. It's somebody there beside you in the pit helping you out. That makes sense. Uh, I had the privilege of um, of coaching lacrosse for several years after I'd finished college. And one of the things that I always did, because I wanted to build solidarity with the high school guys that I coached, was I wanted to, like, whenever we were running wind sprints, I would toe up on the line with them as their coach. Because I wanted them to know that I was there to help them and to trust them. Does that make sense? It also gets illustrated as well with my daughter Audrey we we give them little like we give them quarters for their piggy banks if they do chores and she came down the stairs uh, after helping her twin sister clean her room and say daddy I helped Evangeline can I have a quarter what was she doing she was coming alongside Evangeline in her need and that's the picture there but it's more than we're just in need this is what I love about this text the text is telling us not only that we're in need we need help but we don't know what we need as our help. Does that make sense? We're in need, but we don't know what we need. We know we're in, we're in need. We don't know what it is that we need, if that makes sense. The text tells us right there, but the Spirit intercedes for us while I look back up because we don't know what to pray for. This is a beautiful picture, y'all. John Stott puts it this way. He says that our infirmity, that's just a word for weakness, is our ignorance. And what the Holy Spirit does for us is that third person of the Trinity intercedes and prays for us with groans inaccessible. This is groans inaccessible just means inexpressible, just means it's word, it's the Holy Spirit without words praying for us. And I love this image because think with me for just a moment on this. All of us know what it's like to face circumstances in our life where we don't know what to pray for. If you've been a Christian for very long at all, you know that. Here it is, ready? You're facing a relationship. Do I break up with him or not? Do I stay with her or not? I don't know. I don't know what I should do. Should I take this job or should I take this other job? They both look good on paper. I have no clue what I ought to do. 
Should I talk to my roommate about her struggle or not? If I do, it might abandon her. What do I do? The idea here is that we have, we have God Himself praying for us. Perfect prayers. The Spirit knows us perfectly. The Spirit is God, knows everything. And I love this image. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us in prayers as if we had the actual knowledge of God. That He intercedes and prays for our needs like this. And it's wonderful. He helps us in our need because we don't know what we need. We don't even know what to pray for. I just want to say this. Y'all, that is a gift for the journey. Because if you've walked with God at all, if you've struggled at all, you will find yourself saying this, because of trials within, persecutions from without, I don't know what to pray for. What am I supposed to do? And God gives us the Holy Spirit who prays for us, who intercedes on our behalf. Y'all, I have wrestled with this this week. I have never, I've never seen this before in all of my years of being a Christian. And it has blown me away to think that the tenderness of God would come and take up residence in my own heart and help me navigate areas of life where I don't even know what to pray for. Because I'm limited in my knowledge. I don't understand things the way that I ought. And yet God, the Holy Spirit, still prays for me. And He does that for you as well if you know Jesus. That's really, really encouraging. That helps us get across the finish line. Secondly, the second thing I want to show us today is the likeness, the likeness of the Son. What do I mean by the likeness of the Son? We're going to, we're going to dig in here a little bit more because I think this is really, really uh, important for us. Take a look there in verse, verse 28. We're going to look at kind of, here it is, you see it, 28 to 30. These are like primetime Bible verses. This is like crocheted across your grandmother's house somewhere. I guarantee you there's on some wall somewhere. Verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. I mean, that's a really and actually a quite a famous, uh, a famous verse. And the picture there is, is that Paul is saying, just like last week, the Greek for the words, all things, y'all know what they mean? All things, everything, all things work together for our good, for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Now that is huge, y'all, because that means that all of the good things in your life and all of the bad things in our life, that God is using those to bring about our very good. He is shaping us. He is teaching us. He is enabling us and humbling us. And even in the deepest sorrows of life, God really is being good to us. Now, I'm be careful here. A couple of caveats I need to speak about. If you are a Christian and you have this verse on your tongue and your friend is going through a hard time, let's be careful how we deploy this verse, how we use it, okay? Because it can in some ways really be a hurtful verse to somebody who is really struggling. Does that make sense? Think about it like this, somebody's parents get divorced or somebody, you know, has a tragedy in their life or they're failing a class that really is going to alter the trajectory of their academic studies. It, it, is not, it is not always the kindest thing for the first thing to come out of your mouth to say, it's okay, 
God's working all things for your good. Y'all see, y'all see what I'm saying there? This verse is a lot like dynamite, right? Used properly in a channel, a shaft in, a, in the middle of a mountain, it will blow the face off of a mountain and it will do its job. But you take that dynamite and throw it into the family living room where people are sitting around having coffee, it's going to create all sort of damage. And the idea there is that that we're try, I'm just saying trying to be I'm trying to show you what what sensitivity looks like in some ways. The other thing I want to show you is this is that this really troubles some of us because we say how in the world can God really be working when I am in pain or I am struggling? And you know what the answer to that is? It's real simple. I don't know. There is mystery there. And it's a beautiful mystery. It's a mystery that no other religion will ever give you. And it's a mystery that says, even in your darkest night, God is at work bringing about your good in every aspect. One pastor, Joe Novenson, says this. He says that God is conspiring. Y'all know what a conspiracy is? It's working behind something. That God is conspiring in all of the details of your life to bring about your good. It's a wonderful picture. The question, though, is, is that we have often divorced Romans 8.28 from Romans 8.29. We are awesome at lifting Bible verses out of their context and then throwing them like dynamite into a living room. I want to say we need to quit doing that. Let's read verse 29 and actually figure out something because it's going to tell us what that good is. You see? And here's what it says. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined, there it is in the Bible, okay? I'm, I'm not making this up. To be conformed to the image of His Son. There's your good. I got to sit in a class once with the Bible scholar J.I. Packer. He's an old man. He's from England. And he once he was teaching on this verse and he said in his British accent, he said, um, when, when the Bible talks about that God will, that He's working all things for your good, He does not mean all of the good that you can think of. He means all of the good that God can think of. And what is that good? The text tells us you being conformed to the likeness of His Son. Why is this so important? Because I want you to do a thought experiment with me. What if God Almighty were to sit you down and have a lunch with you? And he were to say, Ryan, insert your name. If there's one thing that I can do for you, if I can, there's one thing I can give you, what is it? Think about that. What would you say? What would you say if you could answer that? What, what is the one thing that God could give you? If it's anything other than being shaped and conformed into the image of Christ, you are asking for something less than what God intends to give you. That's sobering, y'all. Because I just want better circumstances, don't y'all? I just want an easier life. I want my tests to not be so hard. I want my children to obey. I want my wife and I to get along, right? I want... When I was in college, I just wanted that girl to go out with me. You know what I'm saying? I just wanted to get the right job. I wanted to make six figures as soon as I graduated. Totally disillusioned, right? I mean, these are the things that I wanted. 
And I would pray to God that He would give them to me. But what lied at the heart of that was I was thinking, well, that's really good things, right? But that's not what the text is saying. The text is saying that God is on a mission, that you are on a crash course with Christ conformity, with being made into the image and to the character of God Himself. So when God defines good, that's what it is. I love this story from a, a former RUF intern. Her name, is, his, her name is Paige Benton Brown. She's long done with RUF now. But Paige had a... Um, oh man, I left out a major part. I'm coming back to Paige in just a second. Sorry for those of y'all listening on tape. Sorry. I had to say this because it's so wine. And I love, I love wine. I'm older than 21. I can drink wine. Listen. It says this. An old, an old pastor, his name is Samuel Rutherford, has this awesome quote about God using the dark moments in our lives to bring about good. And he says this. This is just money. He says, When I'm in the cellar of affliction, I look for the Lord's choicest wines. Do you all have that vision for your life? That when God has got you in the deepest, darkest cellars, that there are some of the best vintages lining the walls there for you. That's the image. That's the, that's the beautiful image of God working all things for our good. Paige Benton Brown, she was an intern, and she wrote about the goodness of God to her. She was later in her life, older than every single one of y'all in this room, and she was still single. And she was wrestling with her singleness, maybe like some of y'all are. You're, you have a desire to be in a relationship. You have a desire to be married perhaps one day. And she wrote this long essay called Singled Out for Good. And I want to read you a little excerpt from it. She says this, Can God be any less good to me on the average Tuesday morning than He was on that monumental Friday afternoon when He hung on a cross in my place? The answer is a resounding no. God will not be less good to me tomorrow either because God cannot be less good to me. His goodness is not the effect of His disposition, but the essence of His person. Not an attitude, but an attribute. I love this. It is a cosmic impossibility for God to shortchange any of His children. I may meet someone and walk down the aisle in the next couple of years because God is so good to me. And I may never have another date and die an old maid at 93 because God is so good to me. Not my will, but His be done. And until then, I'm claiming as my theme verse, if any man would come after me, let him. (laughs) I love that. Those are the lips of Jesus. That's just Jesus, okay? Y'all, what's going on here? Do you look at even the darkest of your moments the saddest of your days? And do you have the lens through which to view those as this is the Lord's goodness to me? The Lord cannot be bad to you, dear friends. And so when you are in struggle, the Lord is extending and working His kindness behind that. Now I need to say something very, very important, so please listen up. Christianity never denies suffering. It never denies evil. And God is never the author of sin. Does that make sense? We're in the majesty. We're we're like way up in the clouds thinking about some of this stuff right now, y'all. 
How can a good God allow for evil and suffering in His world? I'm sorry, you're going to have to go back to some major podcasts years ago to find the answer to that question. When I've done, I can't handle it tonight. But what I want you all to see is, is this. that it's God, Christianity never denies our suffering and our pain. It's that God uses it as fertile soil to bring about the blooms of His goodness. You see, that you have a vision for God a vision, an idea, a concept of God, that He, that he Himself is working everything from your, for your good, even in the midst of your suffering. Listen, He knows how to steward our pain. He is the perfect steward of our pain. He knows every single tear that we cry. The Psalms tell us that He bottles them up. And at the new heavens and the new earth that we looked at last night, there's this image in Revelation where it says that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Man, that's beautiful. That's beautiful, y'all. That's the goodness of our God conforming us into the image and the likeness of His Son. Well, lastly, let's take a look at these last few verses here. The love, the love of the Father. This third thing that comes along the way for us. I want you to see a few things. So run with me through this text as we begin in verse 31. Paul is now beginning. He's, he's finished his thought on the Holy Spirit and he's bringing this argument to a close in these last verses. And here's what he's saying. What then shall we say to these things? And then he's going to go back with this rhetorical question and answer and he's going to say this. If God is for us, who can be, an, who can be against us? The answer, no one. Do you all know that? That if you're with Jesus, hell and all of its minions cannot do anything to you in all of its efforts, and I mean anything to you ultimately, in all of its efforts to do so, God uses like judo. It uses its weight against itself to bring about your good. That's what this text is telling us. Let's keep going. What else does it say? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give to us all things? This is His kindness. His heart for you is Christ conformity. He will stop at nothing to do that. The challenge is, is that we just don't think that Christ conformity is our best. We want something else. But God is saying, listen, this is what I'm after. Also, 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? I mean, it's this image of the courtroom. Ryan has done this, right? Charles is X. Allison is Y. Whatever it is. What does the text tell us? It says right here, it is God who justifies. Listen, the courtroom is out of session. The gavel has been laid. Right? There is no more judgment to be rendered. Is that not good news for your soul tonight? When your guilty conscience rises up against you because of what happened on Saturday night, and your conscience says, you are the biggest fake Christian that has ever existed. Because I know what you did. Who is to condemn? That justifies. And you can tell your conscience to literally go to hell. Because there's a truer word that has been spoken about you. That you are the blood-bought lamb of Jesus. That is profoundly encouraging for us on our journey along the way. And then I love it. Here it is. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of God? And He gives this litany of things, tribulation, distress, 
persecution and famine. He highlights from the same psalm that I read to us right before our worship began. Psalm 44. We're being killed all the day long, O Lord. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. If you go back and read Psalm 44, it's a picture that this is happening not because they're not obeying God, but because they are. That they're being faithful to God's covenant. And they're getting this sort of treatment and they're crying out and they say, Awake God! Get up off your chair and do something. Do something. Verse 37, No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. We are like super victors through Him who loved us. And then this wonderful denouement of of the text. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, here it is, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Y'all, lay your head tonight on that verse. Drink it in. Drink deep from it. May it get inside of your bones so that you know that there is nothing There is nothing, listen to me, that can take you out of God's hand. If you are truly God's child, there is nothing that can lift you up out of His hand. Listen to what John says, John chapter 10, Jesus' words, I give them eternal life. And listen, and they will never perish And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Verse 29, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Here's the good news for you tonight, dear friends. There is nothing that can take you out of God's hands, and there is nothing that will take God's hand off of you. That's really encouraging, because here's why. Because a lot of us look at our experience... We look at our track record, right? And we think, I know, man, like everybody else just seems to be killing this Christian game, and I suck at it. Or you're plagued with doubts, right? You have real questions. What do I, can we trust the Bible? Did the resurrection really happen? I mean, I, I, I trust Christ, but I got all these questions. And I want to say this Do you know that all things, that nothing in creation means everything? And that even your doubts and your wanderings from Jesus will never, ever, ever rip the Father's hands off of you? Do you see that tonight? Y'all, that is profoundly good news. Because it means all of your failures and all of the stuff internally that you wrestle with will never, ever, ever take the Father's hands, take the Father's fingerprints off of you. That's wonderful news. That's glorious news. John Stott puts it this way. He says, Everything in creation is under the control of God the Creator and Jesus Christ the Lord. That is why nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because God controls everything. Nothing can separate us. Safety. Safety in the Father's arms tonight. Not for super Christians, for you and for me. That is good news, y'all. Profound news that the love of the Father is an inseparable love for us. Not our greatest doubts, 
not our greatest trials. I talked to a student not too long ago. They were saying, you know, Ron, I'm just having a rough go. My faith is really low. My faith is really weak right now. And I don't know what God thinks of me. You know what I told her? There's nothing in all creation that can separate God, God's love from you. So your weakness, be what it is. It's God who holds us. It's God who's got a grip on us, right? That's this wonderful picture here. Why would this matter? I'm going to drive this home with an illustration in just a moment as we close. How do you think you would live the Christian life differently if you knew you couldn't fail? How would that change you? You think you'd finish? You think you'd be okay when you struggle? That's what Christianity teaches. That if you're in Christ, God will, this is an old phrase, He will preserve you till the end. He will keep you to the end. He will see your butt across the finish line because He loves you. That's the promise. That's the conformity of the Son, right? He loves you enough to make you like Jesus. When He starts, He will not finish. Does that make sense? It is wonderful. It is wonderful to know that Christ will bring you across the finish line. He will not quit until He finishes in you. Last illustration. 54-year-old Rick Hoyt. I don't know if y'all know that name at all. He's a marathoner. Any marathoners in here? Runners? Y'all are awesome. You're like my new heroes, if so. Listen to his mind-numbing race record. Not kidding. Six Ironman triathlons. Fulls. Seven half Ironmans, 72 marathons, 32 of the Boston Marathon, 97 half marathons. Most amazingly, he ran and biked the, 30, the 3,735 miles across the United States in only 45 days. The total amount of races... His is north of 1,100 over his lifetime. He's 54 years old. Y'all look, like I run to my car like from like Kroger parking lot and I'm thinking like, where's my medal? You know what I mean? Because I just accomplished something amazing. But this guy's legit. This guy's got it going on. To be able to finish those sort of races with that incredible stamina and that incredible perseverance. And y'all, here's the most amazing part. Rick has completed all of these without taking a single step, without taking one stroke in the water, and without pressing the first pedal. For Rick has cerebral palsy, something he has had ever since he was born with his umbilical cord around his neck. So how does he, unable to do any of this, get to the finish line over and over again? It's simple, really his father. You see, at every race, Rick is pushed by his dad in a stroller or pulled in a bike in a trailer behind him or pulled in the water on a raft. And Rick is finishing. His finishing is bound up in his father's finishing, not in his own ability, but his father's ability to finish the race for him. Beloved of Jesus, let me say this to you tonight. You have the promise of a groaning spirit 
making you more like Jesus because the Father loves you. And when God does something, He does it perfectly and excellently. He never fails. He always finishes. And how can you know this? How can you know for certain that God will never give up on you? Because He gave over His own Son. That is what Romans 8.32 tells us. In fact, y'all, if you remember from Romans chapter 1, over and over again, we heard of God giving people over to their desires, right? Giving people up. This was an act of His judgment, right? That's what He was doing for sinners. And Romans 8.32 comes crashing home using the same language of God giving up. And who did He give up? His own Son. His own Son for the likes of you and me. For the likes of sinners. For the likes of His enemies. And when you see the Son given up for you and for your sin, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God will never, ever give you up for your sin. Y'all, here's where we end our series. My hope is that you have seen the the really soul-staggering news that God has come to rescue us. That He's come to rescue the world and to do it all to bring it back to Himself. That what was lost in the garden, Jesus Christ has come to put back together. And y'all, that news changes everything tonight. It really does. When that begins to sink down into you, it changes you. And perhaps even tonight, I'm going to say this, perhaps it will change you, you tonight to embrace Jesus. It's the best thing in the world. It's the best thing you could ever imagine to be a part of this grace and to be a part of this story. I urge you to, whether for it's the first or for the thousandth, y'all, He was given up for us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. What good news. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much that You would do that for us. That You would love us like this. That You would give us Your Son, Jesus. Thank You that You care for us in this way. And we ask that You would show us, Lord, Your fatherly love. That You would remind us of the great project that You have put us on to make us more and more like Jesus. And we pray, O Lord, that You would help us along the way to run, to, be, to walk with You, and that we would see that our, our success, our finishing, is bound up in our fathers. What good news is this for us? It's in Your name. Amen.